0: Well, good evening. All right. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. Well, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for um, our time together tonight. And Lord, we know uh, where two or three are gathered, you're there in the midst. So we pray, God, that you would um, teach us tonight, lead us and guide us as we go through your word. And Lord, we. Um, uh, Lord, we pray that we would really I'm um, glean from um, this event in Acts 27 and just really um, so blessed that you've um, just captured these examples in Scripture for us to um, observe and understand and, and make those applications, uh, Lord, as we go through life. So uh, we thank you so much for that and put our time before you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Acts 27. Just to give you a little background, Paul had just got done with his meeting with Agrippa. Um, Kind of put Agrippa on the spot. (laughs) Agrippa got up, said, okay, this meeting's over, and everybody left. And he made a statement at the end that Paul wouldn't have appealed to Caesar, he might have been set free, but we know that uh, Paul was um, supposed to go to Rome, that God had told him that back in Acts 23, verse 11, uh, when Paul was in the cell and, you know, the Lord came and ministered to him and told him that um, he was faithful in Jerusalem and that he was going to send him to Rome. So Paul um, now is on his way, they're going to put him on a ship and send him to Rome and it's um, it's going to be quite a ride for Paul, uh, as we'll see. Um, let's see. So Paul's journey to Rome is um, roughly between 59 and 60 A.D. And, um, you know, a question, why would um, Luke devote two chapters on describing this trip to Rome? And I I really believe... At least for me, I believe that the key thought is in this text is Luke presents Paul as a a courageous believer who could take command of a difficult situation in a time of great crisis, Um, totally trusting the Lord every step of the way. So Paul's been saved a little over 25 years, and he's... um, He's on his way to Rome. And in Paul's life, we see um, just what it takes to navigate through the storms of life. You know, Paul, um, you guys, I'm sure, have read this chapter at least once or twice over the years. And you know that Paul is going to be going through a, a just horrific storm. And I really believe that. Luke highlights this so we could glean from, um, you know, what it takes um, to navigate through the storms of life. You know, Luke uses this exciting event to show how one man's faith can make a big difference for him and for others. You know, Paul, you know, Paul's actions not only saved his own life, but the 276 people that were on that ship with him. Um... There's all kinds of storms that we, we face in life. There's a storm of correction. We, we saw that with Jonah. There's a storm of instruction. We see that in Luke 8, 25, when the disciples are rowing across the lake, and Jesus is sleeping, and the storm comes up, and the Lord uses it as an instructional time to show how he could quiet the storm, the power that he has, you know, Jesus being God. Um, The storm of judgment, Genesis 6 with the flood. And then in chapter 27, this is a storm of direction. In verse 26 of chapter 27, you know, Paul mentions, however, we must run aground on a certain island. So this storm literally was to take Paul to Malta. To minister to the people on Malta, and as we go through this, uh, I just want you want you guys to kind of think of the effect that Paul has on the lives of everybody that's involved in this chapter, and kind of internalize that and make the application to yourself because you know what, um, you know we can have the same effect in people's lives that we intersect with, we interact with, our own lives, um, as we go through storms. And we're going to see some of the things that Paul did as he went through this storm. And it, it, this storm is like, um, the journey starts out great. Everything's going fine, right? Isn't that like, you know, you wake up in the morning and everything seems to be going just great. And then all of a sudden, it, the wind picks up. You know, it starts raining or whatever. And, you know, before you know it, you're in the middle of a situation Paul gives us a lot of insight on how to deal with that. so just to want to give you a few of the particulars kind of set the scene. Um, sea journeys in the Mediterranean went from east to west and were difficult due to some of the prevailing northwesterly winds. And when Paul, when he started his voyage to Rome, it was late in the sailing season, and um, you know there was always a chance of an unexpected storm. You know these were just pe- things that people knew. The trip took eight months to go 2,000 miles, leaving Caesarea in August and arriving in Rome in March. So it was a little bit of a, a trip. When they did get caught up in the storm, they were actually driven 500 miles off course. So it's, the Lord had to take him, you know, and we, th- we say off course, but that was the course that the Lord wanted them on to get to Malta. So let's, um, let's start in verse 1. It says, and when it was decided that we, so Lucas included, should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. So Paul's on a ship with other prisoners. He's probably one of the, I would think, one of the only Roman citizens in this group of prisoners. Um, It's interesting to note that, um, you know, (laughs) the Lord puts Paul on this ship with a, a Roman centurion named Julius and a bunch of prisoners that are literally men, you know, just hopeless. They're on their way to Rome, as prisoners of Rome, probably going to be part of, um, you know, the games, part of um, you know, in the Colosseum, being fed the lions, fighting the lions, as used as entertainment to um, to Rome. You know, guys, these people were in in desperate straits, and you know. At this point in in the chapter, um, you know Paul is just another guy on the ship. We're going to see, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, Paul is going to be the captain of the ship. It's interesting how you can go from just being a part of what's going on to be the solution as well. And that's what the Lord wants to do in our lives as we face situations. God wants to see us through them. So by the time we work through them, you know, they no longer have the best of us, but we have the resolve, and we're living in that victory. Um, you'll remember that the Lord um, himself said that one reason uh, that he came was to set the prisoners free. And, um, you know, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, that's exactly what's going to happen. These men are going to be set free. I really believe that the centurion, Julius, that, after seeing the things that he's going to see through, throughout this voyage, I really believe in my heart that he gets saved as well. So so verse 2, it says, So entering a ship of Adraminium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus um, of Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us. So, and I think I pointed this out when I think we ended up here on... Um, the first Sunday night that I spoke. But I want to point this out again. There's no evidence that either Luke or Aristarchus were, had been arrested. And the reason why I bring that up is think about what, what these guys have. They're giving up their freedom mm-hmm. to go to Rome with Paul. Now, they could have very easily just avoided that, but both Luke and Aristarchus ended up making this trip to Rome with Paul. And, you know, just a commitment. You know, and it's a commitment to the Lord first and to Paul. And I just think it's worth mentioning the, the commitment that these these men had to the gospel to make sure that Paul was going to get to Rome okay. Luke being a physician and Aristarchus just being there another believer uh, with him. So I, I really think that that's just a an example of, you know, just that that camaraderie, the love that these men had, what they've been through, you know, they were going to stick with Paul to the end, you know, holding on to their faith. So it says in verse 3, Then the next day we landed in Sidon, which is on the coast just north of Caesarea, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty uh, to go to his friends and receive care. And, you know, think Paul has been on this route with his three missionary journeys. He's, I mean, So he has people that he knows all along this route. Sidon's not too far from Caesarea. Paul had just spent two years in Caesarea. So, um, you know, there's people that know about Paul, maybe even met Paul, that live along this way. And then on his first missionary journey, we're going to see as we continue on the way to Rome that he's going to go through territory that he had been through previously, and I was thinking about this. And there's, you know, there's no, um, um, I don't know if I could back it up with um, you know, a commentary or something, but I really think Paul was like, um, like Billy Graham would have been when he was in his prime doing ministry. People all over the place where Billy Graham had been knew all of, knew all about Billy Graham firsthand, and a lot of these folks knew Paul firsthand. And it was, you know, it was probably um, exciting for them to entertain Paul, to be able to see him, to pray with him, to encourage him. And really, that's um, that's really a critical um, ingredient of the church, that love and care and concern that the church has for one another, that 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 body ministry one to another is just so important in the church. And I think that it's, a, it's really a strength of the church. Uh, so it says in verse 4 and 5, it says, When we had put the sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is, is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So, the first ship that they were on was a smaller ship, really um, not suited for um the rest of the journey so they in Myra they um, transferred to this um really a grain ship that uh, probably taking grain from North Africa up through to italy um it was uh, it, these ships were huge, two hundred feet long um you know their displacement in the water was like. 1,200 tons, um, they moved real slow, but they were really tough, and they could handle that last leg going um, across the Aegean Sea and up to Rome. So verse 7 and 8, when, the, when we had sailed slowly many days, we arrived with difficulty to Nidus. It was about 130 miles from, from Myra. The wind not permitting us to proceed So at that point, they would have went right across, around, um, you know, Athens, that part of Europe, and then right straight up to Italy. But because the winds were contrary to that, um, they couldn't do it. So they kind of hung a left and went down towards Crete, and that's what the end of verse 7 says. We sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salome, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of La So things are starting to change now. At first, it was kind of like clear sailing. They switched ships. But now things are getting a little more difficult. The wind's picking up. It's actually preventing them from sailing straight through to Italy. So they have to make some adjustments now on the course that they're going on. And... It's interesting because we don't, there's not a lot of information about what Paul's doing up to this point. He's on the ship, you know, so if you kind of just kind of think about it a little bit, um, I would think, you know, he's probably in the word, he's probably studying, he's probably praying. Um, When he gets to Rome, you know, keep in mind he's going to write four more epistles. Maybe he's jotting down some notes, just seeking the Lord, but You know, now the trip is getting, the weather is getting bad. He knows that it's not a good time to sail. So I I just, in in my own thinking, you know, he's got to really be interceding now um, for this trip. So in verses 9 and 10, it says, Then when much time had been spent, excuse me, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast or the Day of um, Atonement, which is in October was already over Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. So Paul says, Men I perceive. So I, I believe that part of Paul's perception was, in his time with the Lord, the Lord is speaking to him like, you know Paul, we're going to have to stay here. You know, don't keep, you know, let's not, you know, let's think about what we're doing. And then, of course, part of what Paul is saying to these men is he's speaking from experience. Uh, if you remember 2 Corinthians, now Paul wrote this about four years earlier than where we are now in Acts. And Paul said in Second Corinthians 11, and uh, I'll pick up in verse 25, Paul's, you know, going through his, Uh, Pedigree and through his life. And he says, um, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep and journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. I mean, Paul, I mean, Paul was always in perils, right? Anybody want Paul's job? But you know what? Paul loved the Lord, and it didn't make a difference. It didn't make a difference what he suffered for the Lord. He was doing it for him. But Paul knew what he was talking about. Paul had been shipwrecked, you know, and the Lord is using him to, you know, he's trying to, to reason with these, these men, So one other thing too. Just uh, keep in mind. Mark this verse in your head. If you're not convinced that prayer changes situations, this should help. Okay, something changes between verse ten and verses twenty-one and twenty-six. Okay, so they all right, So they're gonna they're they're not gonna take Paul's advice. But something to think about. Are they rejecting Paul or are they rejecting the Lord's direction and guidance? And, you know, sometimes you got to think about that. You know, when somebody that you really know, and you know, like maybe you got somebody that you pray with, somebody you're accountable with, um, you know, we, we have to learn to um, pray about the things people tell us. You know, I've I've had people tell me all kinds of things. And at first, when pe- when I first got saved, I used to think, wow, that's kind of weird. But, you know, the as I started to understand um, more and more about my faith, I realized that, you know, I, I really have to pray about everything that people say. Because, you know, when you get in the habit of starting to just blow people off or you know, not pay attention because the Lord will use people in the church to minister to other people in the church. You know, and it's so important. And these guys here—they, of course, they, they don't. They, you know, they look at Paul as you know he's this this preacher who's going to Rome to go. You know, stand before Caesar um, and for his trial. Uh, what does he know about? Um, what does he know about sailing? So in verse eleven. It says, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And you know that makes sense, right? Julius, the centurion, is going to listen to the guys with all of the experience in the you know in in sailing, right? He's not going to listen to Paul, so he doesn't. In verse twelve, it says, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in. The majority advised to set sail from there also, if by means they could reach Phoenix, and that would be like 40 miles um, west, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. So when they say that um, the harbor wasn't suitable to winter, um, Fairhaven wasn't a big town, Um, it was small. So the sailors decided to try to make it to Phoenix, which was a bigger, more of a major port of Crete. So the owner of the ship maybe could have sold some of his grain there, made some money. And Julius, the centurion, um, he probably wanted a better place to stay for the winter for his men. So, in other words, greed and a desire for comfort may have gotten in the way of good sense. And it still happens today, right? People giving in to greed, you know, when enough isn't enough or it isn't good enough or when we find ourselves getting lazy, accepting the status quo, it dulls our senses and weakens our resolve and our focus. You know, and there's, got, there's times, guys, when we got to ask ourselves that question, what's getting in the way of our good sense? You know, our walk with the Lord, how we're um, living out our lives, decisions that we're making. So now the storm is really getting bad. The danger is increasing, so a decision was made, um, one that was contrary to Paul's advice, and I really believe one that was contrary to God's will um, for, their, for their, their trip. So in verse 13, it says, Then when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out the sea, they sailed close to Crete, so they're probably thinking because, oh, we got this nice breeze, everything's going our way, um, you know, we must have made the right decision, um, you know, but sometimes um, the, cert, you know, you can't judge circumstances, you know, you can make a decision and things seem to be going great in the beginning, but if it's, if it's not a, a good decision or a wise decision, if it's not something that the Lord is really, that direction he's leading you in, um, there's going to be uh, obstacles in the way. And these guys thought it was going to be clear sailing. You know, oh, yeah, we're going to make it, no problem. But verses 14 through 17 tell us what happened. But not long after, a temptuous headwind arose called a Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, which was about 23 miles southwest of Crete, so now they're already getting off course, we secured the skiff, the little lifeboat, with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, And lest they should run aground on the Sardis sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. So there's a a lot there, and um, Luke uses a lot of these nautical terms. Um, The Euroclidon was their worst nightmare. It is where the the wind intersected from the east and the north, and the ship got caught up in it, and it's really um, a sailor's nightmare for that time of um, the year to be out on the sea, uh, the cables that they used to undergird the ship these were cables that were under the ship, and what they would do is because the storm was so bad, they would take the mast down, lower the mainsail, they would throw the anchor out in the back of the ship to try to slow the to try to slow the ship down, and they would have these cable <clears throat> these cables or these ropes that they would Ratchet up to really kind of hold the ship together, literally, in case they, you know, hit a sandbar or hit some rocks or something. So this is all part of the plan um, for them to to try to, you know, not wreck the ship. So in verse eighteen it says, "And because we were exceedingly tossed, and temp- we were exceedingly tempest tossed." The next day, we lighten the ship. So that makes sense, right? They're starting to lighten the load. They want the ship to stay higher in the water because of they have no idea where they're at or, you know, what they might, if there's any sandbars or anything like that. So the situation really now is going downhill quickly. And I think that we've all been there, right, where the storm in life has kind of gotten out of control and um, things go south uh, quick. So in verses 19, it's 19 and 20, it says, On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So now that Luke is involved with throwing stuff overboard. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. The 11th hour, you know, all hope is gone for these men, for these passengers on the ship. And like, you know, I know I've been there. There's been times when things that have happened in life where, you know, you almost look at it and say, wow, I mean, how could it get any worse? How could it get any worse? But you know what, guys, you know, we need to hang in there because God is faithful. God is not going to leave us. God said he would never leave us or forsake us. No matter how difficult things get, um, you know we need to understand. We need to hang in there. Um, that's um, that's exactly um, what Paul is doing. Paul's praying. Paul's in the middle of the storm. Things are going downhill quickly. He's not, you know, he's not getting ahead of God. He's not running out on deck saying, "Hey, wait a minute." You know, I mean, he's going to do that, but he's going to do it in a real, um, in a way, in a real loving way. Um, but you know, don't give up, hang in there. Why? Um and notice the, the next verse, verse 21. But after long abstinence, and I like I put but God in my notes, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Ouch. <laughs> and not have sailed from Crete. And incurred this disaster and loss, so you know Paul is, is Paul is out there telling them. You know he's just being he's just being in the light with them. He's just being honest. You guys should have listened. You guys should have listened. You know, but he doesn't just leave them with that reprimand like you should have just listened, right? He, you know he doesn't do that. Paul, you know. It says that after long abstinence, there were guys on the boat that probably weren't eating because they just, I mean, the way the, the storm was, they were just weren't eating. I really believe Paul was praying. <clears throat> that Paul was praying and fasting. He's down below wherever, his, wherever he was staying, and he's praying. He's fasting. Lord, you know, what are we going to do? What should we do? You know, and God is faithful. God is faithful. God is so faithful and you know we see God is He's seeking direction from God and I, I just want to interject something here about prayer you know the application is prayer you know I can imagine Paul praying for the weather to settle down wisdom for the sailors for Julius praying for the prisoners that were chained below um, I'm sure that you know that, that Paul probably saw the fear on everyone's faces and then he 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 just starts to pray with compassion um, in his heart. And I know when we've prayed for needs, and I know that, you know, in the senior group, we spend some time before the study in prayer. Uh, you know, we um, have a prayer meeting here. And, you know, you can tell that when people share their needs, they ask for prayer, there's a lot of heart there. There's a lot of emotion. And I think that was Paul's heart as he prayed. You know, Paul would write in Ephesians 6:18 towards the end of, you know, that section on the, putting on the whole armor of God. He said, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." So, in this in this verse, introduces the general character of a believer's prayer life. The first thing we see is with all prayer and supplication, the focus is on the variety of prayer. Always focuses on the frequency of prayer. In 1 Thessalonians five seventeen and 18, it says, praying without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The third thing we see is in the spirit and that focuses on submission as we line up in our prayers with the will of God. In Romans eight, twenty-six and twenty-seven, it says likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The fourth thing, being watchful, focus you know, focuses on the manner, you know, Matthew twenty six forty one. watch and pray, lest least you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then the last one is when he talks about all the saints, he's talking about focusing on the people. And that's what Paul was doing as he was praying. He, all of these things, praying, you know, prayer changes things, Prayer changes things. I know you guys know that, but I'm going to say it again. Prayer changes things. Now, notice verse 22, when we, you know, how the message switches. It changes from what Paul said in verse 10. And here's where the, this is the evidence, that prayer changes things. In verse 10, what did Paul say? Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Okay, that's what he said in verse 10. After praying and fasting, seeking the Lord, going the storm is getting worse. Things are going downhill quick. Um, Things change. In verse 22, well, 22 through 26, Paul says, And now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Hmm, that changed. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Paul's interceding for the situation for these folks on the ship. And the angel is telling him, that God has granted you that prayer. God has answered that prayer. You know, all of those that are on the ship. So he says, therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. You know, that island we know is Malta, and eventually they're going to make it there. But, you know, this part, this Verse 26 is really interesting because it's almost like a little prophetic in a sense because you know what's going to happen? They're going to end up on this little island and everybody on the boat's going to understand that, oh, Paul said that, you know, the angel told him that this was going to happen and it happened. Uh, I'll ask you a question. Do you think that God can do the same thing for you? I mean, I know you guys know he can, but you know, think about it. This ship. I mean, when it when it says that they there were no they could see no sun, no moon, no stars. They're throwing everything that's not important to, to run the ship off of the ship. I mean, things are drastic, right? They they're tightening everything up. they're, they're just there's no hope. There's no hope. They have given up. You know, I gave up before I got saved. You know, like I was checking out. I didn't care. You know, I got to a place where I didn't have a lot of hope. But you know what? People were praying for me. People were praying for me. And, you know, I got saved and everything changed, but it was through prayer. You know, not having hope. You know, and as believers, you know, sometimes we get to that place where we start to get discouraged to the point where we lose hope. But, you know, this is just a, such a clear picture. And I'm so thankful that, um, that we have the complete word of God. Because we can, we can look at this account and say, you know what? No matter what I face in life, I don't have to give up, I don't have to throw in the towel because God is faithful. Jesus said that he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. As we face the storms that we, that we face in life, what, what did Paul do? He got alone. He prayed. He fasted. He sought the Lord. And God brought the, brought, God brought the solution. God was faithful. He showed up. He showed up. And he'll do it in our lives today. And it's interesting. I, and I was thinking about this how the world benefits from the church. These men on the ship benefited from Paul. They benefited from Paul's relationship with the Lord. They benefited from his prayer life. They benefited from him being faithful and seeking God for direction. And it might not look like it today, but the world benefits from the church. The world benefits from the church um, when the church is faithful to the calling that God has on the church, when we're faithful to, to be a light, when we're faithful to get out and share the gospel, uh, when you're you know, just being um, used by the Lord. You know, we're ambassadors for Christ, and he wants to use us not just to hang out in the fellowship hall, I mean, and get to know each other, which is good, we talked about that, but God wants to use us out there. God wants to use us day in and day out, you know, and our, just our part of our day. You know, so I if, if, want to encourage you guys to pray, because, you know, our, is the world benefiting from you being in it because of your relationship with the Lord? You know, it's something to think about. I mean, nothing to feel bad about. If if that's not the case, then work on it, right? I mean, we can always improve in our, you know, in our ministry, and we all have a ministry. You know, it's a ministry of reconciliation. You know, it's just sharing the gospel, and it comes in a lot of shapes, forms. Um, so please pray. God will. God's faithful. He'll. He'll let you know what he wants you to do for sure. Verse 27. Now, when the 14th night, so 14 days of just hopeless, helplessly drifting around, had come, and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. So, whether they were hearing the waves break on the shore, or whatever, but they were starting to, to really think that they were getting drawing near to some land. And as they took soundings and found it, it to be 20 fathoms, um, when they had gone a little farther, they, shook, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. So roughly there's six feet in each fathom, so at first... Um, you know, they were probably 120 feet. That's how deep the water was. And as they were going, it was getting less deep. In verse 29, then fearing least, we would um, run aground on the rocks. They dropped four anchors, okay, out of the back and prayed for day to come. You know, they're just praying now that, you know, just keep, keep us, Lord, until we could see where we're at. You know, because they've, you know, they've, been, they've been in the storm blind for 14 days, not knowing where they were at all. You know, and keep in mind, and they got their directions from the stars, right? A lot of their travel was, you know, following the stars, navigating with the stars, when you're kind of lost navigation-wise if you can't see um, the stars. So, and as the sailors were seeking to escape, From the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors uh, from the bow. And Paul said to the centurion and soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the rope of the skiff and let it fall off. So, if you haven't noticed by now, Paul is definitely in charge of the ship. He's, he's given Julius, the centurion, he's telling him what he should be doing, giving him advice. And now Julius is is accepting Paul's advice, right? It, in verse nine, I think it was, when he perceived it, that they shouldn't go any further and stay, stay in fair havens, it was like, uh, you know, thanks, Paul, but we're gonna just go ahead. And now he's listening to Paul. And it's interesting. I know that there's the thought that, um, you know, they, they had to stay on the ship, you know, and that whole symbolism of being in Christ, you know, being on the ship. But there's another angle to that, too. And, you know, the, the guys that were trying to, the sailors that were trying to get away on that little skiff or the lifeboat or whatever, um, they needed those guys. They needed all hands on deck, for them to get safely to where they needed to be. So Paul is basically telling them, if you let these guys go, it's going to cause some problems and we might not make it. You know, so these guys got to stay on board and they got to do what they're supposed to do to get us where we need to get. So they just, you know, and who's going to argue with the Romans, right? They just cut the ropes to the skiff and I'm assuming that Julius told those guys to get back to where they needed to be. All right, okay, verse 33. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eat, eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you, take nourishment, uh, for this is your, for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. You know, so this isn't communion. Paul is just praying for the food. You know, he's praying for the food that they're going to partake of. And, you know, I'm sure you guys obviously pray before your meals, you know, and it's, it's really a witness to do it out when you're out at a restaurant or whatever, you know, to just pray for your food. Paul is just, okay, guys, um, we need this nourishment. Let's pray, let's eat, and let's get ready because God's going to deliver us. So then they, verse 36, then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all were... We were 276 persons on the ship, so when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So once again, they're they're lightening the load because now they're they're getting closer and closer to shore, and they want to get as much weight off of the ship as they could. So, yeah, let, we'll read the rest of the chapter, and then we'll next time we'll we'll get into verse 28, chapter 20, 28. So, verse 39 and when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach under which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors, so the anchors that they had in the back to slow them down, they get rid of those. They let, you know, so they cut them free, um, left them in the sea, meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes. So now they're just going to let the ship go, not try to direct it. And they hoist the mainsail. Now they're putting the mainsail up so they can get that wind to get them as close to shore as they could. But striking a place where the two seas met, uh, they ran the ship aground. So they hit a sandbar. And the bow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by violence of the waves. So they're in a pretty bad situation right now, but they're at least could see the land. The ship, the front of the ship is stuck in the sandbar and, and the waves are beating on the back of the ship. So it's starting to break apart. So, but the centurion, Oh, let me see. Verse 40. So the soldiers planned. 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. At least any of them should swim away and escape. And it, you know, you have to understand the times there. If there are 50 prisoners, when they get to Rome, there has to be 50 prisoners. Now, it could be 50 dead prisoners, but it's got to be 50 prisoners or else you know th- their, their life could be on the line. So the plan for the soldiers is to start killing the prisoners while well, Paul was a prisoner. But the centurion wanted to save Paul kept them from their purpose, and commanded those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So, you know, Julius wants to protect Paul, you know, and I really think at this point, you know, he really understands that really Paul is a man of God, that all the stuff he heard about Paul is true, and Paul, really, um, his relationship with God, he just saw the reality of, of you know, Christianity through Paul's life. Uh, so he wanted to um, help Paul, to protect Paul. Back in Acts 26-22, 20, when Paul was talking to Agrippa about being saved from uh, the riot back in that, in 26, um, that he obtained help from God, is what Paul said and that help came through Lysias, another centurion. So God has always been there to protect Paul, no matter what the situation was, whether it was a, a mob trying to pull him apart or whether it was these, um, these Roman soldiers um, trying, you know, wanting to kill him so he couldn't escape. You know, God always had somebody there, and God always has a way of protecting us, a way of keeping us safe. You know, God told Paul he was going to make it to Rome. He was going to protect him. He told him all these guys were going to make it safe to shore. And all of this stuff has come into pass. And, you know, this isn't a secret. God didn't do this in secret. Paul announced this to everybody on the ship when he came out from that time of prayer. So, I mean, this is just an awesome witness. And it's just, you know, that's why I really believe so many people got touched by this, horrible storm and their lives were changed totally and of course in 28 in chapter 28 when they get to malta it's a whole other story of god ministering the gospel to the people there at malta so god is faithful god is god god's faithfulness is seen on every page in the book of acts and of course we know god's Faithfulness is seen from Genesis to Revelation, but you know what I, I like about it in the Book of Acts is that um, it's so real and pertinent to us. It's it's the church living out their faith, um, not during just the good times, but during persecution, hard times, and it's a you know a beautiful picture of the church pulling together the just the unity of the church. Um, it's so important, and you know. I think today there's a few things lacking in the church, but I think this might be one of them. You know, just the, the tight knit of, you know, just the closeness of the church. Um, just um, and the encouraging, the ministering to one another. And um, that's why, I, you know, the prayer chain, you know, things like that. When you get that, spend, spend the time that you need to Pray. You know, because even though you might not see that person, you might not even know who some of the people are on the prayer chain. But pray. Pray, because you know what? And I know this might sound a little weird, but, you know, sometimes I have been praying for people and then finally meet them, and I feel like I know them more than, you know, like I just met them, but I've been praying for them for two weeks. And it's almost like I, I feel like, wow, there's a connection there. So, you know, don't ever underestimate it. Don't, don't ever underestimate prayer and, um, you know, just God's faithfulness. We just saw an awesome um, display, if you will, of God's faithfulness of getting Paul through this horrible storm. But, you know, God told him that he was where he was going to take him. God told him he was going to get there. And he, he's on his way there now. But God has been faithful through the whole thing. And, um, you know, the application is really simple, guys. You know, God, is, God has given us his word. He's, he's given us his promises. And, you know, all we need to do. That sounds easier said than done. But really what we need to do is grab hold of that. We need to grab hold of those promises. We need to start to walk in the light that, of the word of God. You know, taking, you know, one step after another, just believing that if God said it, that settles it. That if God said it, I can depend on that. And, and, you know, whatever is going on, this world is crazy. This world is crazy. But you know what? The Word of God is our reality. It's our foundation. It's what we build our lives on. And that's what, th- it, that's what keeps us from the storm out there. Because we're the sane ones. We're the ones that understand that God's Word is true. And you know what? The world needs to benefit from us, church. We need to be a light. You know, church. We need to. We need to. We need to get out into the community and be a light. Whether that means going to school board meetings, uh, whatever, PT, whatever. But just get out into the community and be a light. You know, don't um, shield yourself from the world. Go out there and be a light. Be a witness. Let people know that there is a reason, that there is a, there, there is a reason to get excited about life, that there's more to life than what we see, you know, that we have a Savior who's saved us and redeemed us. We can actually have a relationship with God, a living, vibrant, personal relationship with God. You know, people, when they hear that, and they, I mean, that's what, that sets people free. And that's what God's called us to do. That's the message he's given us. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for entrusting us with your word. And Lord, um, I thank you for, you know, for Paul's example for us. You know, you know, Paul, we read about him. He's like a superhero. But, you know, he's just a, just a, a man who had um just a a burning desire to live for you, to please you. Um, And Lord, just wanted to be faithful uh, to what you called him to do. And I pray, God, that we would accept that challenge as well. And Lord, um, you know, who knows what you have in store for us, God, but we know that whatever it is, it's worth um, any sacrifice. It's worth any um, abuse, verbal or whatever. Uh, Lord, we... um, we just want to be uh, true to you like you've been true to us. We want to uh, be faithful to your word, just like you have been faithful uh, to us, God. We um, we love you so much. We thank you for um, what you're going to do the rest of this night. Pray, God, for traveling mercies as these guys um, head home. And, Lord, uh, should you, tarry, we pray, God, that um, we would uh, just see your hand in our day tomorrow. Uh, Lord, we love you so much, and thank you for all that you're doing, all that you've done, and all that you're going to do. Lord, we love you and thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.